Thank you, Chip. Thank you, church. Wow, I, I was shocked. It's been 10 years since I've been here. Um, 10 years ago, I was much, much thinner. Well, not much, but I was thinner. And I had darker hair, but I've added so many highlights. They're very expensive. Uh, Pastor Mike hasn't added many. So, but I've, I, uh, since I've been here, I started pastoring. Went back to the church in West Texas that my brother and I came out of before we went to Tulsa, Jerusalem, 35 years ago. And, uh, you know, your pastors and I, we go way, way back. Uh, you know, I first started coming to this church in 1991. That's a really long time ago. That's 26 years ago. But I've known them since the late 70s. So that would make it how many years? Late 70s? 40. 40 years. Think about that. So, uh, but I I love Pastor Mike and Beth because um, they're always the same. They're not up. They're not down. They're not, they haven't got chased wacky doctrines. They haven't chased wacky trends. By the way, uh, what are the last three letters of trend? N, that's right. Maybe that should give us an insight. If you're trendy, you might be indie. But anyway, um, anyway, we love your pastors and we stay in contact and, and, uh, I, I love what they post on Facebook, but I, I, I do really, while they're away uh, the, these couple of weeks, uh, really pray for them that they would gather more boldness, that, that they would just be stronger, you know, because they rarely actually say what they mean. They kind of, they're vague and you're not really sure where they stand and let's see, that's why I love them. Uh, because they're true to the word and true to self and true to the the Holy Spirit, true to doctrine that they came up in. I, I want to alert you to some things that are back there on our resource table. Every guest minister uh, has a series on the power of words, but this is the best one. <laughs> say, this is the best one. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's the best one. Okay, this is the best one. Why is this the best one? Because it's the power of words. Uh, no, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So what we've heard all of our lives growing up, you're going to eat those words someday? That's true. That's Proverbs 18, 20, 21. It's true that we will eat our words. So we've all been told, oh, your words are going to come back to haunt you someday. But why not flip that over and say our words are going to come back to bless us someday? Our words are going to come back to prosper us someday. Our words are going to come back to... to to influence us greatly someday. Amen? We can turn that around. So in this series, we're not only talking about the scriptural content of the power of words. You know, Jesus said, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So our words matter. How many have ever served um, uh, jury duty, or you've ever been in a court of law? Every word, every word that is uttered is recorded. Every word. If it's a legal proceeding whatsoever, a hearing, everything, every court, every, every, um, every trial, every word is recorded. Do you know that every word is recorded in the heavens for us? 
Amen. Every word is recorded. Jesus said, we're going to give an account for every idle word that we speak. Didn't he say that? So our words are very important. A lot of people say, oh, words aren't that big a deal. Okay, you're ignoramus. (laughs) You fool. You idiot. Who are you talking to ignoramus? Oh, I thought you said words don't matter. No, words do matter. Words do matter. Your words will justify you or your words will condemn you. That's, that's the legality of it. Our words are legal tender in the spirit realm. Do you know that you're not known in the spirit realm how you look? You're not known by the labels you wear. You're not known by how cool people think you are. Your voice is your address in the spirit. Your words are your address in the spirit realm. Amen. And so it's important that we align our words with the word of God because when we speak the word of God, we're not only speaking our future, but we're activating our faith. We're activating our ministering spirits, our angels, to get busy. Amen. I'm, I'm a full believer that a lot of Christians' angels are kind of, you know, vagabonds. They're holding signs under a cloud. We'll work for Christians. We'll work for Christians. They're probably not cardboard signs, but they're, they're signs. So let's, let's make sure that we're using our words properly. But not only do we go, in, go into the word about this, but we actually discovered some scientific surveys, not surveys, some scientific research that they now, scientists now agree that our words never die. They go into the ether or the atmosphere and they never die. That's why, you know, your neighbors may not be able to hear you, but your neighbor's dog can. Not just because they have big ears. Don't look around. Because your words never died. That's also why you don't take a chatty person deer hunting with you. Because deer can hear from miles and miles away. How many know that? Some of you just learned something. It's not just because they have big ears. Again, don't look around. It's because your words did not die. They didn't fall to the ground. So our words are very important. So th- this, is, this is very significant. Somebody like to have this? Somebody over here? There you are, brother, right back there. Good catch. And then here's something that, that, that we did um, a number of years ago. A number of years ago. In fact, I want to read, read some of the excerpts of, of this. This is called Last Day's Alert. It's a packet. It's loaded with prophecies, printed and recorded about the last days. And why is this so important? Because we're in the last days. You know, what took place in Las Vegas, what's been taking place not only in our nation but around the world in recent months and years is all a sign of the end times. Amen. And 
the pastor friends that I have in Las Vegas, their churches are doing really well. They had immediate prayer vigils going on. They've been uh, invited to speak at citywide prayer events since Sunday night. Um, they had nobody in their churches affected. There was a niece and nephew of somebody in their church, but the niece and nephew don't attend their church, that were at the concert and they were shot. But they were minor injuries and they were uh, immediately able to get out of the line of fire because there was a off-duty police officer that was nearby attending the concert as well and led them to safety. So a lot of wonderful things are going to happen as a result of this, but it's important that we continue to pray for those who have been touched by this senseless, cowardly, cowardly violence. You know, it's amazing what happens with these cowards when somebody with a gun points it at them and they're no longer the predator, but they now become the prey. What happens? They kill themselves because they're cowardly. That's my opinion. I'm John George, and I agree with this message. <laughs> but they're cowards. You're a coward to get up in a hotel room at a vantage point and shoot innocent victims that are unsuspecting. That's cowardly. I don't care what your beef with the government or what your beef with the Mandalay Bay Hotel may be. You're a coward for doing that. And we're living in a cowardly society. You're a coward to go into an elementary school and shoot innocent children and teachers. You're a coward to do that. You're not a man. You're a coward. You're a coward to go into a, 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 a movie theater that posts no guns allowed and you shoot people while they're sitting there watching a movie for entertainment. You're a coward to do that. But what does that have to do with us tonight? We must realize we're in the last days and that there's an enemy that hates us because we are God's creation. But the Bible says that nothing by any means shall harm you. Why? Because you've been given power or authority over all the power or ability of the devil. You see, our authority is greater than the devil's ability. And the blood of Jesus Christ will protect you if you know who you are. If you know who you are. Amen? And that's what this has to do with. This is what the Spirit of God said to us on a Wednesday night in September 12 years ago. Only those that will not allow the spirit of this age and the spirit of fear and the spirit of lack, the spirit of strife to interject and overcome their thoughts, but those who mind my word, who mind my things, will rise above the fray of the last days. They'll rise above the pettiness, they'll rise above the disaster, they'll rise above the fear and walk victoriously in this hour and in this day, says the Spirit of God. So rise up and take your rightful place that I've offered you, that I've given you, that I've sent my son Jesus to pave the way, to make the path straight, to give you an example to walk. So follow those that follow me. 
Obey those that obey me, and I will keep you in my arms and in my place of refuge, says the Lord. Now, that's two paragraphs off the first page, and it's front and back, all by the Spirit of God. I'm not going to take the time to read it tonight, but all that is in this packet, and it will really bless you. If you can't get anything else back there tonight, get this. I'll give this to you, Chip. Can I throw it at you? Thank you. And uh, that was 12 years ago that the Spirit of God told us that. He said that there will be an expanse between light and darkness, a gulf. There'll be an expanse between those who believe Him and trust Him and those who no longer do. There'll be an expanse or a distance between those preachers of righteousness and those who leave righteousness. Something the Spirit of God showed me way back in 1989 as I was asking him about the last days. He said, there will be a move of the Spirit, an authentic move of the Spirit in the 90s. But there will also be a counterfeit. And this is what he said specifically to me. I mean, I I wrote it down. I still have the legal pad that I wrote it all down on and I... We've typed it out, we've printed it, we've published it since, but I still have that legal pad and I go back and look at it. He said, unfortunately, Hollywood will begin to use the supernatural to draw people. And that's taking place, hasn't it? And this is what broke my heart. And he said, many in the church will start to use Hollywood to draw people. And that's taking place. That's happening all around us. But you see, church, Hollywood cannot perform and walk in the authentic supernatural. It's all counterfeit. It's fake. It's fraud. But the church of Jesus Christ, we must rise up and operate. I don't mean the pastors. I don't mean just those on staff, those on the platform, but all of us, the church of Jesus Christ, need to begin to operate in the supernatural power of God to influence our society. Amen? Where does that start? Prayer. Praise. Submission to Him. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is real simple. And We're just going to look at two passages of Scripture. Several verses of one chapter and then only one verse in another chapter. I want to talk to you about the transforming power of the word. Say transforming power. You know, all information is not positive, is it? All information is not necessary. Amen? And then you have to weigh it. Some information is necessary to some and it's unnecessary to others. True? But the information in the Word of God is necessary for all mankind. And not only is it information, it's transformational information. Not all information is transformational, is it? Absolutely not. But the information in the Word of God, the wisdom, the counsel, the knowledge of the Word of God is transformational. And that's why I call it the transforming power of the Word of God. Look over at Romans chapter 10, if you would. Romans chapter 10. And I'll be, I'll be sharing out of the King James, but I've asked them to, 
to uh, put up the Amplified for some of these verses. Romans chapter 10. And let me, let me say this before we dive into this. Um, it's important to know this, that, you know, a lot of people say, what's the big deal about which church you go to? I mean, just as long as it's a Christian church, just as long as they believe in Christ, aren't they all the same churches? Aren't we all preaching out of the same Bible, reading out of the same Bible? I mean, really, what's the big deal, some people say? It's a huge deal in these last days. It's a huge deal. Not everybody teaches the same. Not everybody preaches the same. And people, people who often say, well, our church preaches the word, but wait, 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 wait. If that word is filled with doubt, fear, condemnation, shame, guilt, doom and gloom, it's not the word. It's not the word. So it's important which church we go to. It's important which pastor we submit to. And I'm glad you come to a church that has a real shepherd and not a hireling. Amen. A real shepherd. I did tell them on Facebook they went a long way to get a Greek salad today because <laughs> Pastor Beth, she showed a picture of a Greek salad. I don't know if you follow them on Facebook, you should. But she showed a picture of a Greek salad. I thought, man, that's an that's expensive Greek salad. Airfare, lodging, time. Anyway, just a joke. Have you found Romans 10 yet? Look at verse 3. It says, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, let me stop right there. And, and, and just want to, want to clarify the, the King James and, and the, the Amplified misspelled ignorant. Actually, you spell it this way. I-G-N-E-R-N-T. Ignorant. Now, this is Southern California, right? This is SoCal. Okay, you're, you're far enough south to understand the word ignorant. I'm from the south. I'm from Texas. Uh, but anyway, and we almost beat Southern California a few weeks ago. We went to double overtime, but we, we're, we're not quite there yet. But anyway, so they misspelled the word ignorant here. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Say God's righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, this is important to see. I like to read verses sometimes from the bottom up because it kind of gives you the end from the beginning. It says, they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. And so what did they do? They went about to establish their own righteousness. Why? Because they weren't submitted to God's righteousness. They had not come under his righteousness So they established their own righteousness, and that's why, number one, they're ignorant of God's righteousness, because they haven't submitted to his righteousness. Did you follow that? Now, let me show you something um, that, you know, we Americans are not very good at this word that's that's listed here in in the Bible. We're just not, we're just not very good with this word, submit. We really, we really don't like this word. You know, Americans, we fought for things. You know, I have great uncles that were in World War II. My dad was a Marine in the Korean War. You know, we fought for stuff. 
I've got great uncles that were on Iwo Jima when the Marines raised the flag. They were actually on that hilltop. Uh, another one that was in the, the uh, Corregidor and the Bataan Death March. I mean, these are violent. I've got an uncle on my dad's side who was in World War II and fought the Nazis. He was an Army Ranger. He operated much of the time behind enemy lines. I mean, we fought for something. We fought for our freedoms. As Texans, we f- we're the only of all the 50 states that were our own republic. We Remember the Alamo. I mean, we fought. We fought for something. And so we're really not very good at submitting to other people. But in the word of God, it's necessary that we submit to God. Now, what does this word mean? It's, it's, it comes from two, two words. The first one is sub. The prefix is sub. What does sub mean? Under or below. Therefore, we get the word submarine. Marine means water, so it's a vessel that travels underwater, right? So we know that sub means under, but mitt is not a ball glove, although you could apply it this way. But mitt means to move or to position. So the very word submit means to move under or position under. And if we won't submit or position ourselves under God's righteousness, number one, we'll be ignorant of his righteousness, and number two, we'll go about to establish our own righteousness. Now let me show you how this applies to us. Every person in this room at one time or another tried to establish our own sense of righteousness. In other words, nobody going to tell me what to do. But here's the problem. Somebody's telling you what to do. You're submitted somewhere. Somebody's jerking your chains. Somebody's influencing you. But is it the right somebody? If it's the wrong somebody, you're in trouble. And we've all done it. How many of you adults have, you currently have a teenager at home? Some of you do. How many used to have a teenager at home? Okay. How many are going to have a teenager at home? Your children are younger, but you're going to have a teenager. I have good news for all of you who have or have had teenagers or will have teenagers at home. There's Something happens at puberty, and puberty is at different time frames for girls and boys and even different time frames within. It doesn't happen at the same time for all boys or all girls, but we know puberty hits, and there's something that happens. They are transformed, but not necessarily in a great way all the time. In other words, those hormones are squirting all over their bodies and changing them. They're, it's, they're not only growing hair in places they've never grown hair before. They're not only have, growing physically and, 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 and having different kinds of feelings, now interested in boys, now interested in girls, whatever. But there's actually not just physical changes, but there are chemical changes taking place. And it seems like there's this chemical called know-it-all. How I many of you parents, real, you realize that perhaps maybe there's a scientific name for it, but I call it the know-it-all chemical, that our children become these know-it-alls. All of a sudden, overnight, they know everything, and you now know nothing. How many can relate to this? Come on. Well, I have good news for you. 
I now have two teenage grandsons. I have six grandchildren, but two of them are teenagers. And, and, and my, my daughter, our daughter is 40, and she won't appreciate you tell, me telling you that, but uh, our son is 35, but they went through this, that they knew everything, and we, we just became brain dead. But the curve turns around, and it's real cool when they get in their 20s and they call home. And they actually inquire of you something that they don't know, that they know you know, and so they want you to tell them what you know. So our son called one day. He's in his 20s. And, and we're in Texas, and he, we moved back to Texas, and he, he was still in Tulsa. And he called, and he said, Dad, Dad, what does APR mean? I said, April. Dad, no, I'm, I'm filling out an application, a, a financial application. What does APR mean? I said, fourth month of the year. And I hung up on, I hung up on him. He called back. He said, Dad, I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. I need to know what it is. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. Let me hit record real quick. Are you saying that I now know something that you don't know? Dad. So parents of teenagers, it's going to turn around. It's going to rebound, and you're going to come to that day. But there's something that happens in their brains that they think they know things. And so what happens is they establish their own sense of right and wrong. And what mom and dad thought was right and wrong That's old school. That's behind times. I'm going to establish my sense of right and wrong. And then they discover, after a period of time, hopefully not very long, that maybe mom and dad were onto something. That is, if mom and dad were onto something in the first place. Right? Because there are a lot of people misguided that never changed. They still got the wrong chemical bouncing around their brain. <laughs> they, never, they never solidified. Now, here's why I'm saying this. If we refuse to submit, if we refuse to come under the authority of God's righteousness, we will always be ignorant of his righteousness, and we will always try to establish our own. And that leads to a path of destruction. And here's the tragedy. This is what many, many people have done. Now, if you'll look up here for a moment, and young people, I want to challenge you not to be, be into, your, into your devices here tonight because what I have to say is way more important than Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, low chat, pop chat. This is what we do. And we've all done it. We do our own thing. We set our own path. We go wherever we want to do. We look at whatever we want to look at. We listen to whatever we want to listen to. We watch whatever we want to watch. We associate with whoever we want to associate with. And then when the wheels fall off, we ask God to bless our life. But here's the problem with that. Isn't that asking God to submit to us? 
Isn't that requiring God to come under our authority and our choices? Instead of us moving under His? And He knows far better than we do. You see, we always want to ask God. We do whatever we want to do, and we always want to ask God, Oh, God, bless what I'm doing. Bless my choices. Bless my actions. Bless whoever I want to date. Bless whoever I want to marry. Bless however I want to live my life. But actually, if I would submit to God's authority and God's righteousness, His ways are already blessed. And his way is not hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Hello? Me and the adults could testify right now. I could. Because we did it our own way. We did it whatever we wanted to do. We did it the way we thought we should do it. Many of us in this room as adults, we thought our parents were brain dead too and they didn't know anything and we knew everything. It's called Pride. Amen. And then sometimes we're just eating the fruit of our own seeds. Our own harvest. Because we fail to repent from our stupidity. So when I try to set up my own righteousness, here's the problem with this. It's a big problem. I'm saying to God, I know better than you. That's what I'm saying. When in fact, God will actually do better for me than I could ever do for myself. Father knows best. That's not just an old television series where they had twin beds in their master bedroom. Isn't that remarkable how... Still to this day on sitcoms and television and movies, the dads, they make them out to be total dweebs, doofuses, idiots. And they put these these couples, these married couples in these situations where they never show any passion. They only show boredom. And that's not the way it actually is. And they promote sensuality. They promote promiscuity. They promote adultery. They prom- Come on. Isn't that true? And while I'm there, isn't it interesting that there are churches today that no longer sing about the blood of Jesus. The pastors don't ever bring up the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't know what they do for communion. But they never bring up the blood of Jesus. And they never relate the blood of Jesus. But yet, all these people go out and they go home and watch movies that are loaded with blood. I mean, really, The Walking Dead? There are toys in the toy section at Walmart and Target for little kids that are ghouls and, 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 and uh, zombies. Bloody, gory stuff. This is how the enemy paints this game. This is how he operates. But let's, let's look before I go on. Let's look at verse 4, and I'll read it first of all in the King James. I want to show you how short it is in the King James. Verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. But let's look at this in the Amplified. Can you guys put that up in the Amplified and the Medium? Let's look at this in the Amplified. 
It says, for Christ is the end of the law. It leads to him and its purpose is fulfilled in him for granting righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, this is not the same Amplified. Can you pull up the Lockman Foundation Amplified version? It's a little bit different. It's actually the original one. If you can pull that up. Does anybody have that on their, on their, have it in their lap or have it on their, their phone that I could borrow? This is kind of the amplified light. The, the amplified from the Lockman Foundation, the original one is far more detailed. And the reason I like it is because it goes back into the original Greek and it pulls out the definitions and you'll, you'll see why I call it the female version because it's a lot more detailed. We'll get there. Chip, Chip has pulled out his iPad and it's going to get there. You got it on your phone right there. Thank you, brother. They may be able to pull it up here in a minute. It says, for Christ is the end of the law. It leads to him and its purpose is fulfilled in him. Say in him. For granting righteousness to everyone believes. Actually, that's the same one that we have on the screen. Uh Uh-oh. Looking for the Lockman Foundation one. You've got it right back there. Look look at that old-fashioned amplified Bible. And I should have pulled this up earlier. Yes, you have it right here. For Christ is the end of the law, the limit at which it ceases to be. So what is he saying? Christ is the end or the ceiling, the limit at which it ceases to be. He's the only one that fulfilled the law. The law could not be fulfilled by any man. It was too stringent. It was too difficult. But Jesus did it. Hallelujah. Why couldn't man do it? Because of his nature. Jesus didn't have the same nature as Adam, did he? So he didn't have a sin nature. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. So Jesus never sinned, but he became sin for us. That's how he defeated sin, to become it. That's how he defeated sickness. He became sickness. Sin and sickness are synonymous. Now, you're well taught at this church. I don't want to get into a whole different message. But it says, for the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types. Is it up there now? The fulfillment of its types. And in him, the purpose which it was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. So the purpose of the law was fulfilled in Christ. That is, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as a means of righteousness or right relationship to God for everyone who believes. And that's what it says in the King James, to believes, to believe. But this is what it means in the Amplified that's brought out from the Greek. Those who trust in, those who adhere to, and those who rely on him. So you see, a lot of people say that they have faith. It's a similar word to faith. They, have a, they say, I have faith or I believe God. But do you actually, do you trust in him? Is all your trust in the Lord? Do you adhere to him? In other words, do you stick to him or is he your last resort? Well, 
You know, we actually, you know, after a lot of trial and error, we actually prayed. Oh, has it come to that? That's not sticking with him. And thirdly, it says those who not only trust in, adhere to him, but those who rely on him. That's what it means to have faith. That's what it means to trust him. That's what it means to believe him. Amen? I want to back up to a word that that is further back. It says, For the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types. Chip, can I borrow you for a second? Everything in the Old Testament, and I'm sure pastor has taught you this at some time, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. It wasn't Christ, but it pointed to him. Everything, like the Passover, was a type and a shadow of Christ. The blood over the doorpost that protected the people from The angel of death. Remember that? I mean, remember reading that. None of you are that old. But everything was a type or a shadow. And he was the fulfillment of all the types of the law. That's what we just read. So, we have this mentality today in some circles that we need to go back to the Torah. We need to go back to the Old Testament. And we need to serve God through the Old Testament Traditions, practices, etc., etc. How many have seen some of this? There are actually movements like this. That we know not just need to be born again, we need to go back and practice all kinds of Old Testament tradition. Well, the problem is everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. So to go back and start performing sacrifices, to go back and start doing all the natural things that the Jews did and the old, the, the uh, Orthodox Jews still do. You know, this past week, weekend, Friday, Saturday was, you know, the holiest of their, of their year, Yom Kippur, which is the holiest of all holy days that they have. The week, the week, the couple weeks before was their Jewish New Year. So this last weekend, there was a lot of prayer and fasting. It's called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's what it means, the Day of Atonement, which means we need to fast and pray and ask God to atone for our sins. Well, Jesus already atoned for our sins. Jesus shed blood. He was the supreme sacrifice, amen? So to go back and try to ask God to atone for our sins is going back and trying to have a relationship with the shadow, that would be like men, Chip, and many of you can't see this, but, but let, let's do this. Chip, let's stand kind of right here. Come over here where we can have a shadow right here. And, and we're going to, what, what do men do when they greet each other typically? We shake hands, right? So let's shake hands. See, see that shadow? So that'd be me like trying to have a relationship with Chip through his shadow. Well, there are people who think us preachers are already crazy, but if somebody walked in and we're trying to have a relationship with a shadow, they would really think we're crazy, right? When I don't need to have a relationship with a shadow, when I can have an, a, a relationship with re, a real person that still is alive, his name is Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Thank you. 
So it's, it's, he's the fulfillment of its types and its shadows. So Jesus fulfilled all the old covenant. He fulfilled all of the law. He atoned for our sins on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. Hallelujah. That whoever believes on him should not perish but receive everlasting life. Hallelujah. Now those, those are two different verses, but you know what it means. So it's important that we see this. Let, let's look, let's look at, let's look at verse five in the Amplified. Can I borrow this again? I still have it, so yin, yin, yin. This looks just like the one I have at home. It says, For Moses writes that the man who can practice the righteousness, perfect conformity to God's will, which is based on the law with all of its intricate demands, shall live by it. In other words, the just shall live by faith. That's what it says in the King James. We're supposed to live by faith. Verse 6 says, But the righteousness based on faith, imputed by God, bringing right relationship with him, says. What? So righteousness based on faith says. You see it in the King James, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. So what is he telling us? That... With the righteousness of faith, it says something. In other words, there is a language to the righteousness of faith. There's a language. There's a vernacular. It's necessary that I learn the language of faith. If I'm going to operate by faith and live by faith, verse 5 said, I need to learn the language of faith. Now, why is that so important? Same reason my son needed to know what APR means when he's filling out a financial application. You better learn the language. And sir, what, what occupation have you, have you primarily had most of your adult life? Painting contractor. Painting contractor. How about you? Television producer. How about you? Photographer. Photographer. You? Homeschool mom. Homeschool mom. Don't say she doesn't work. She actually pr- probably works harder than he does. What about you? Musician. What about you, ma'am? Retail store manager. Anybody work in medical field? Some kind. Dental. How about research? R&D of some kind for a company. How about in the, in the corporate world? Maybe you're a secretary or a vice president. Or something. Anybody work in finance or banking? Anybody? Nobody? You do? What do you do, sir? I'm sorry? Compliance officer for what, what type of the banking industry? Financial planning. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've ever done. It doesn't matter what occupation you're in. For you, how many of you, any, any students still in university, still in college of some kind? Okay. In your degree program, every area of your life, whatever you're studying, whatever you're researching, whatever you're working in, 
there's a vernacular that you must learn if you're going to be successful in that field. Isn't that true? It's very true. Now, I, I started out working in the hay field. There's not a whole lot of vernacular to work in a hay field. My brother and I, we look like we do because when we were young teenagers, that's what we did. We worked for our uncle who hauled hay. He was a pastor. Didn't ha- the church didn't have enough money to pay him a, a, a good salary, so he had a side job, and, and we were his hired hands. We liked to eat, so we had to work. But there was a science to hauling hay. There, was, there were necessary things. You still had to learn things. You still, there was even a little bit of vernacular to learn that. But from there I went and I worked in a produce warehouse when I was 13. And we would hit overtime on Wednesday afternoon. That's how many hours we worked. Every Sunday before church, I had to go down at 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings. That limited my Saturday night goof off and unload potato trucks that drove in from Idaho. There was a vernacular that I had to learn about fruit about produce. Then I went from that to the oil field. Oh my goodness, you talk about a vernacular. You have to know pressures. You have to know levels. You have to know, you have to know what a flow line is. You have to know what a drain line is. You, you have to know all these different, this different, you have to know what a pop-off valve does. You have to know uh, uh, what a pump jack is and how these things operate or you could die. Then I went from there. I worked on offshore drilling rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. You're out there for two weeks at a time. And you better, you better have learned something out there or before you go out there. And then from there, I wanted to do something a little safer. I went from to, to construction. And then I learned how to build things and build houses. But before I could do that, I had to study under someone who knew more than I did. In other words, I became an apprentice. And that's important for us to do still today, regardless of the field we're in. A few years ago, I have a, I have a, a pastor friend that, that uh, had part ownership in a jet. And I flew with him uh, that day. Now, I'd been right seat in, in the cockpit of all kinds of aircraft, but all props, uh, Float planes that you fly up on water, pontoon planes, uh, fly all over Canada and Alaska and those places where I would go fishing and hunting. And, and I would actually sit up in the right seat. I was invited to do that. I didn't make my way up there. But I put on the headphones. And uh, this is the first time I'd been in the jet right seat. Well, that's a whole different element. There's a whole different terminology with jets than there are props or even turboprops because of the skills that are involved and the training that's involved to fly a jet versus a prop. So I have the same headphones on. And you know what? Not one time did my pilot friend, my pastor friend, minister friend say, breaker, breaker, one nine. This is not a CB radio. You're not talking to truckers. You're talking to air traffic control. And then they're going to ask you what your tail number is. You can't say, well, wait a second, let me look. I can't see it. There's a vernacular you must learn. 
You have to learn altitude. You have to learn all kinds of terminology if you're going to even be allowed to take off. Right? When you go into a bank, you, you just can't go in and say, I want some money. They might push a, a button that you can't hear. Right? Well, I want to see the, I want to see a banker. I want to see a vice president or the president of the bank. They're not going to let you see a banker. You're going to have to follow procedure. You're going to have to fill out an application to borrow money, correct? You're going to have to provide some financial information from your personal finances or your corporate finances. You're going to have to provide some things that are in the right vernacular. You just can't walk in and say, I want some money. And we understand that about every area of life. When you go into a doctor or a dentist, you, 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 when they ask you questions, you say, well, I don't know. Well, where's your pain? I don't know. I just hurt. Hello? There are specific things that you must know and that you must communicate if you're going to be successful in, other, in any area. A number of years ago, I had some knee surgery from a college football accident. And, you know, you go into an orthopedic surgeon, you know, and they ask you all kinds of questions. They do all kinds of tests, et cetera, et cetera. What if that surgeon asked his PA, his physician's assistant, for a scalpel? And she says to him, or he says to him, uh, is that the scissor-like thing that's kind of silver, you know? You know, because, number one, they're, they're not, they're not going to ask for just anything. In other words, there are certain kinds of scalpels. There are certain kinds of forceps that look like scissors. But if you if he asks for a, a, a scalpel and you say, is, is that a knife? You're not going to last very long in that, in that area, in that field. Now, here's my point. We completely understand that in every area of our lives. But when it comes to the things of God, we have this mentality, well, if God wants to heal me, I guess he'll just have to heal me. Well, if God wants to bless me, he knows my address. Come on. That's not the way it works. The righteousness of faith has a language. And it's necessary that we learn that language. It's necessary that we know there's something that needs to be said. Amen? Now watch this. Are you still with me? Now watch what he goes on and says. In verse 7. Actually, let's skip down to verse 8. Because the rest of verse 6 and verse 7 kind of tells us what we should not say, but now it says in verse 8, but what does it say? The King James says it this way, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee. In thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. The Amplified says the word, God's message in Christ, is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word, the message the basis and the object of faith which we preach. Why is this so necessary? If we vacate 
the word of faith. We vacate the word's transforming power in our lives. When we go back to the old ways of doing things like, well, if God be willing and the creek don't rise, I guess he'll heal me. That's not in your Bible. That's not in your Bible. But when you have a symptom come against you, you say, thank you, Lord, for paying the price for my healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that himself took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses on his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin shall live unto righteousness by whose stripes I was healed. That's something different. Well, do you, do you quote the King James or the Amplified or God's Word translations or the message? Which one do you quote? Which language is this in? It doesn't matter, but it's the language of faith. It's not the language of doubt, fear, unbelief. It's not the language of, well, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes you just get rained out. No, the Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. They are yes and amen. All the promises of God. And one of his promises is divine health. All the promises of God are yes and amen. So if I believe that, what do I need to do? I need to trust in. I need to stick to. I need to rely on him. Amen? Now look at one more verse here in this chapter, and then we'll skip to one more verse and we'll close. Look at verse... Verse 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart, God raised him from the the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, how many know he just gave us some great information? But that's transformational information. If we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. That's a Greek word, sozo, which means an all-encompassing salvation. It also means healed. It also means delivered. It also means set free. It's an all-encompassing freedom. Hallelujah. So if I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, it doesn't say confess my mouth for a Savior, but I confess Him as Lord. I will be saved. Now, what does that relate to? That relates to the first word I put on, or the second word I put on the board tonight, submit. Jesus chose to be our Savior. We choose for Jesus to be our Lord. He doesn't make himself Lord of you. He doesn't make himself Lord of me. That would be a dictator. That would be a tyrant. He's my Lord because I make him Lord. You know, you see slogans and phrases and songs. Jesus is Lord. You think Jesus was Lord of Las Vegas on Sunday night at 10.08 p.m.? Jesus wasn't Lord of that. The devil was the Lord of that. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, I just choose to believe that God is in control. He's not doing very well then. No, Jesus wasn't confused about this. John 10.10, you're taught well at this church. You know what it says. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. It doesn't say steal or kill or destroy. Steal and kill and destroy. The devil does all three. 
And then he didn't stop there to thank God when Jesus said this, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The word life is Z-O-E in the Greek meaning, Zoe meaning the full expression of life or the God kind of life. And some people will say, well, Jesus was saying that about heaven. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean the thief is going to be loosed in heaven, stealing, killing, and destroying? I think not. And where was Jesus when he said, when he quoted John 10, 10? Was he in heaven? No, he was on this dirt ball. He was saying, I am come, it's inferred to earth, that you might have life or the God kind of life. Remember, that's what he prayed as well, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That we can have the God kind of life that God experiences and God operates in in the heavens, that we can have that right here on earth. But that only happens when Jesus is our Lord, not just our Savior. When I have submitted my life under him. And then verse 10 says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, our words will justify us if we believe the right thing. Amen? Are you getting anything yet? All right, let's wind this up. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the very last verse, verse 18. I'll read it out of both translations. In the King James it says, But we all, see Paul was from southern Israel, we all, you all, with open face, that's important, we'll come back to that in a second, beholding or looking as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed, say changed, put the duh on the end of it, changed, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. We are changed. Let me show you this, show you this verse out of the Amplified. Is there any rent on this Bible? Okay. I'll give you a CD series. It says, in all of us, as with unveiled face. King James said open-faced. Now, why is that important, unveiled? What does unveiled or open mean? Unveiled means uncovered. Now, what can cover our face? Sin. Fear. Guilt. Condemnation. Lack of self-image. Lack of our identity in Christ can cover our face. The Bible says that Satan comes to blind the minds of people. He blinds us. In other words, he covers us. And when we yield our field to sin, sin grows a crop in our field. Because whatever we yield our field to grows a crop in it. So let's yield our field to the word. Let's yield our field to Christ. Amen? So let's uncover our face. How do I do that? I repent. The word repent simply means change. Let's change. Amen? So he says, he says here, all of us as with unveiled face because we continued to behold. We continued to behold 
in the word of God as in a mirror. King James said glass. The glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And notice something. Instead of the word changed, he says if we will continue to behold in the word of God, we are transfigured. Transfigured. This Greek word is only used four times in your whole New Testament, three times different times. Two times it's used for the same story on the Mount of Transfiguration, we call it, where Jesus was transfigured by the glory of God right before the disciples' eyes. How many remember reading that story? That's the first time, but that's mentioned twice, but it's the same occurrence. The second time is in Romans chapter Chapter 12, verse 2, you're going to remember this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So here's the third time, the third time, or the third different word. We saw change, which is the third time it's mentioned here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We saw the word transfigured in the Gospels, and, and here... And we see the word transformed in Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the same Greek word. And let me show you this word on the screen. We'll relate to it from English very readily. We'll understand it. You'll, you'll see it very quickly. It's a word that we learn in elementary school as we study science. Here it is. Metamorpho, from which we get the word, what? Metamorphosis. Now, we learn, we learn about metamorphosis, like I said, in the fifth or sixth grade in science, where we impale a butterfly, and we learn about how this little inchworm, this little caterpillar, pretty low on the food chain, what does he do? He spins a cocoon and he dies to himself. He's buried within that cocoon. And he comes out as a butterfly. Now, a butterfly is not a flying worm. It's not a flying caterpillar. A butterfly is a whole new species. True. That's where we get the word metamorphosis it became a whole new species the bible says in second corinthians it says when we are in christ we become a new creature all things are passed away behold all things are become new we become a whole new species when we are in christ the amplified says engrafted into christ we become a whole new species Talking about spiritually. We get a whole new nature. We go from the sin nature to the divine nature. Hallelujah. We died to self under the law of sin and death. And Jesus made us come under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We change laws. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a greater law than the law of sin and death. Because Jesus defeated the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. That's the legality of this. But he said, when we look into this word, when we look into the word and we continue to behold in this word, in other words, we dress our lives by the word instead of the world. Come on, somebody. We look into this mirror of the word instead of the mirror of the world. Hallelujah. We don't follow the trends of the world and the culture of the world. Why? Because it's temporary. There's an end to it. There's an end to the trend. Come on, somebody. So when I look into the perfect law of liberty, I'm set free. I'm transformed. I'm metamorphosed. Hallelujah. Now let me show you what this word means. Meta, meta is a prefix. It's used in a number of different places in the Greek language, but it means to exchange. So the word meta means to exchange. The word morphu is two syllables that comes from, a, it's a compound word, but this is what it means. It means outward form. So when I get into the word of God, I don't glance at the word. I gaze at the word. That's what David did. He was gazing at God and he just glanced at Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Remember when he ran toward Goliath, he wasn't quiet. He wasn't hiding behind rocks. What was he doing? He was screaming at him. God deliver me from the paw of the lion or the bear in the mouth of the lion. Surely he will deliver you to me this day. You uncircumcised Philistine. You don't even have a covenant with God. What was he saying? Greater is in me than he that's in you. That's the mentality we have to have. That's why you never run at your giants with your mouth shut. Huh? That's what the devil wants us to do, to be quiet. He wants to intimidate us. If we were to take the time to look at 2 Timothy 1.7, we all know what it says in the King James, for God has not given us the spirit of, but of power and of love and of a, Sound mind. We're looking at the Amplified. We see that he's not giving us the spirit of timidity. It's a Greek word. There are three different Greek words for fear in your New Testament. And that's the most common. It's the Greek word dilia, D-E-I-L-I-A, which means timidity. God's not giving us the spirit of timidity. So anything that intimidates us is not of God. You see, when I know who I am in Christ, I can't be intimidated. Amen. When you know who you are in your business, you can't be fooled. You can't be bamboozled. You, you, that's, an, that's an old school word, young people. Some of you hadn't heard that in decades. But you can't be tricked. You can't be deceived when you know, when you know your business. 
right? When you know, when you know about painting, you, you know the difference between latex and oil base. You know the difference between, between turpentine and, 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 uh, and mineral spirits. Both of them stink, but. But you know the difference. You can't be fooled. Nobody can tell you any different. See, when you know who you are in Christ, you can't be fooled. Can't be intimidated. And that's what the devil uses. That's his number one trick. Besides lying, he tries to intimidate us, to overwhelm us, so he can fool us, so he can trick us, so he can rip us off. Amen? So, what has he just told us? When I look into this word and I gaze at it, when I continually behold what the word of God says, I am transfigured. I am transformed. I am changed. Where? I, there's an exchange taking place. Hallelujah. There's a metamorphose taking place. I am being changed. There's an exchange taking place. And I'm a different person from the inside out. Let me wind down. Brother, can you take this back to that lady? Thank you so much. I would keep that, but that cover is a little foo-foo for me. But anyway, <laughs> thank you, ma'am. I really do want to give you a series. Let me, let me share just a testimony with you. Oh, a few years ago, this is six, seven years ago, I went for the first time to my high school reunion. I'd never been. It was my 35th high school reunion. That, that, that's hard for me to even say. Now I've been over 40, but, but it was the first time I ever had a desire to go. I'd read the material. They'd send it to me, email it, mail it, whatever. And they'd say, we're going to have a kegger. We're going to have an open bar. We're going to have this. And I'd say, some things never change. And I had no desire to associate with that. But this particular year... I just was drawn to that. Why well, don't why am I going to this? And I went down there, it was three and a half hours away, it was on a Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday night, but I didn't stay for that because of services. But um I went. And we went to this mixer, you know, everybody's just hanging out and talking and fellowshipping with each other, you know, and and, and talking about old days and what they're doing now. Afterward, I went up to the hotel suite of the class president. I was one of the officers and went into the class president suite, and a whole bunch of us were in there, 35 or 40 of us were in there. And I went over and sat in the corner in this suite with this leather chair and ottoman, just propped my feet up. And in walks our 6'4", 255, 260-pound all-American linebacker. Still the leading tackler at Oklahoma University. Now, when I told that to my wife, she said, he's still playing? <laughs> I haven't got her schooled yet. She didn't go to my high school. She went to some other school that doesn't understand something. Anyway, no, that meant that after all these years, nobody has broken his records of how many tackles he had for a career at the University of Oklahoma. Brian Bosworth didn't do it. All these great All-Americans didn't do it. He still holds the record, even to this day. And he looked like he could still play. 
he was all state three years in high school. I mean, he was recruited by 40 different Division I schools. I mean, every school wanted him. He played pro ball for the Houston Oilers at the time, which was now the Tennessee Titans, and then the Miami Dolphins. Played a number of years. He walks in, and of all places, he sits down. He walks all the way across the room, and he sits down. He didn't even go to the mixer. He just came to this event. He sat down right at the ottoman where I'm propping my feet up. He says, George, what are you doing? I hear, I hear you're a preacher. How's that going? I said, Daryl, it's changed my life when I committed my life to Christ. It turned me around. I, I became a new person. God's done great things for me and my family. He's turned my life around individually, my marriage, all kinds of things. He's done great things. I've been all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just awesome. I said, how about your spiritual walk? Because, see, I knew both of his parents were believers. Oh, not, not, not so good. Got kicked out of the NFL for drugs. Got married because my girlfriend had her baby. Married her for all the wrong reasons. She divorced me. Now my own daughter won't even talk to me. I said, Daryl, there's a solution for you. If you'll give your heart to Christ, if you'll sell out to him, he'll transform you too. Daryl prayed with me. Three weeks later, Daryl dropped dead of a heart attack. I'm driving home that next day, and I, I'm still asking the Lord, Lord, I don't know why, I'm, why, why did you have me go? Three weeks later, I knew why the Lord had me go. And not only was that my first time to a reunion, that was Daryl's first time and last time to a reunion. You see, God wants to use you to help transform other people's lives if you will submit to his authority if you will come under his authority. And Daryl's in heaven today because of obedience. And it's important that we help other people. That cost me hundreds of dollars to go down there. It cost me time. I don't have time to go watch people get drunk. Don't have the, don't have the grace for it. But the Lord wanted me there. I was a plant because he knew that Mr. All-America, Mr. All-Pro wasn't going to intimidate me. 6'4", 260-pound guy is pretty intimidating. Just his position, he's got his NFL logo on his polo shirt. That's pretty intimidating. I mean, I, I, I desired to be in the NFL, but I, I found out very quickly NFL meant not for long for a player like me. <laughs> But he played eight years. As I close here tonight, I challenge, I beseech, I beg all of you to take a look at your life and let's not be believers as usual, Christians as usual. Let's be the real deal. Let's be the authentic. Let's be the filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's be the ones filled with power. Now, many of you in this room, you are. But perhaps some of you haven't made that full commitment yet. You haven't dedicated all your life to it. 
That doesn't mean you're going to be a preacher. That doesn't mean God's going to send you around the world and preach the gospel. It means God's going to use you right where you are and anoint you to do what you're called to do, which means just as much in the kingdom of God as preachers. Just as anointed, just as called, just as equipped, but in a different way. God wants to use you. You see, there are no insignificant gifts in the body of Christ. Those men and ladies working back in the children's rooms and nurseries tonight, that's not an insignificant position. That's just as anointed and just as godly as what I'm doing here tonight. Although they really want me to quit. They really want me to quit. They've run out of goldfish. Videos. See, I used to work back there. I know how it feels. So thank them for... Thank them for being long-suffering and giving tonight. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for love. Let's pray. Father, thank you.